Let's go, Red Rocks Church. How are we doing today? Come on, lift up a shout of praise for Jesus, our King. Welcome to church. You guys ready to start a new series? You ready? Hey, let's welcome in the rest of our family. Everybody joining us online right now, welcome. We love you online family. Let's ramp that up for the amazing women at our God Behind Bars campus. You can hear it in this room, ladies. We love you so much. Pando family joining us on the Pando app. We love you and all together as a family, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we welcome you, we love you. Would you move, would you speak, would you do your thing in this service? Would you move right now? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, take a seat. We are beginning a new series called Temple, and the whole idea behind it is that you are invited to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is totally normal, just a totally normal concept. A wild, amazing invitation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You're valuable. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, you may hear that verse and suddenly feel like a bunch of weight got put on your shoulders. Oh, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. Maybe that's because this verse comes from a passage in Scripture that's talking about sex. And it's very possible that you heard this verse from a youth pastor going, don't you guys know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So quit having sex. And if you haven't started, don't start. Don't do it. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. I remember in college when I was new to my faith and found out, like, I'm, I'm invited to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I, uh, I must be a terrible roommate. He must hate it here, the things I do and say and think. For a lot of us, the idea of being a temple of the Holy Spirit brings a bunch of weight on our shoulders, feels like condemnation. And my hope today and in this series is to restore or introduce to you the wonder and honor of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna dive into the concept of the temple today. And then in the next three weeks, we're gonna get really practical and talk about your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health. God is a triune being, right? One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he creates us in his image. And we have three parts, mind, body, spirit. And we are to honor him for those three things to work together, to not neglect one of them, but for all of them to be part of this temple that we are for his spirit. Jesus said the greatest thing, the most important thing you can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all of you. And you can hear that verse and you can break apart the pieces and talk about what each one of those things mean. But the point is to love God with everything that you are. With your body, your physical body, yes. With your mind, yes. Your spirit, your spiritual life, yes. All working together. We're headed towards more and more harvest. So many people, new families that'll show up, new friends that will come, students. And I wanna be a church that doesn't have to get ready. I wanna be ready. I wanna be ready, live ready for the harvest. And that means we gotta have this Holy Spirit leading us. So we're gonna hit the gym these next couple of weeks. Are you ready? If you get nothing else out of today, here's what I want you to know. GBB, I want you to hear me. 
God wants to be with you. A couple of us are like, that's crazy. Everyone else is like, well, he should be so lucky. I'm happy for him that he could be with me. No, if you're honest, you're probably like me. You go, me? God wants to be with me, of all people? Have you ever had someone enter into your life and they wanna be your friend, they wanna hang out with you and you can't quite figure out why? They're like way cooler than you? Yeah, me neither. It would be awesome to have cool friends, but. <laughs> no, I feel that way about my wife. When we first started dating the whole time, my friends can validate this. We we're all kind of like, what? what are we missing here? This is awesome. Like, I'm not gonna argue with this, but me? I experienced this phenomenon as a freshman in high school. I signed up for guitar class, because why would you not sign up for guitar class if you can get high school credit for that? And I walked in as a freshman, a little freshman. I can't emphasize that enough. I looked like I was truly 10 years old. And I walk into this class and realize you don't sign up for guitar class as a freshman. You sign up as a senior when you completed all the classes you have to take, so now you can just coast to college and take guitar class. So it was me and a bunch of upperclassmen who looked like adults to me. I'm like, are you my dad's friend? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> this is high school? So I was just gonna keep to myself, scared little freshman. Over the course of the class, I made three good friends in the class. We'd hang out in class, and they were all really cool senior guys. And I couldn't figure out why they would hang out with me. Two of them were football players, jocks, popular guys, and they'd like see me in the hallway with all the popular seniors and be like, what's up, Ethan? And I was like, me? <laughs> there was this guy, Freddie, and he was the leather jacket, motorcycle, too cool for high school. That dude had a five o'clock shadow by the end of guitar class. <laughs> it would be about 15 years until I needed to shave. Picture Judd from The Breakfast Club, right? Like, that's Freddie. And don't picture me as Anthony Michael Hall in that movie because me as a freshman in high school makes Anthony Michael Hall in that movie look like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> and Freddie taught me to play Blackbird by the Beatles because, of course, you've got to play that song and learn that in guitar class. Chance, one of the senior football players, him and I did the recital together. We played a song from The Lion King, and everyone was probably looking at it like, is this like a father-son duo? This is so cute. And we crushed it, and I got an A in guitar class, and Emily still won't let me be on the worship team, so please email her. <laughs> I, I was just waiting with these. I'm like, why are these guys hanging out with me? When's the prank gonna come full circle? I'm gonna get shoved in a locker somewhere. When are they gonna be like, you really thought we were your friend? But it never happened. The only prank that happened was one that we dreamed up together when these senior guys snuck me into the senior class photo. <laughs> and still in the hallways of Highlands Ranch High School, and praise God, in the yearbook I found in my attic is the senior class photo of 2004 with about 400 freshmen or seniors and one little freshman. <laughs> Let's zoom that in. Can we get a little closer in? <laughs> I was in high school. Like I was, so the guy in the blue shirt in front of me is Chance, one of the senior guys from class. I just hid behind him the whole time and then popped out. Like, my head is half the size of his head. <laughs> Two different species sitting next to each other right there. Hey, if you're single and feeling hopeless in this place, that guy grew up and got married. <laughs> that should give you hope. And just as a blessing, just to further drive this home, that was my school picture as a freshman. That's probably the coolest I ever looked that year, which is saying a lot. And to further bless you, Doug went to my high school, and that's him as a sophomore. <laughs> yeah. It was all in the puka shell necklaces. That's how you could spot a future pastor. 
He was also a late bloomer. I don't know that he's bloomed yet. <laughs> I never figured out why those guys wanted to hang out with me. Didn't get it. I feel that way all the time about God. I'm like, you wanna be with me? I would annoy me so much if I was God. The things I say, I put my foot in my mouth, I'm sarcastic, I'd be like, dude, just leave me alone, man. The questions I ask. But the story of scripture is of a God who wants to be with his people. And that should blow your mind. He wants to be with you. And this thread of this storyline all through scripture comes through to us through the concept of the temple. But we first gotta go back to the very beginning. So God creates everything, including mankind, the pinnacle of his creation. And there's this land called Eden, which is the Hebrew word delight. And in Eden is this garden. And then at the center of the garden is the tree of life. And God will come here and heaven and earth will meet in perfect relationship to be with his creation, with Adam. It says in scripture that God would walk in the cool of the day with Adam. That's what he wants to do. How amazing does that sound? So God wants to be with his people, but then we know that humans sin against him, choose to wanna be like him, disobey him, walk away from his plan, and it fractures the relationship and the perfect creation, and they leave the garden, and the rest of the story of scripture is God getting his people back. He chooses this man, Abraham, who has a family that grows into a nation, and he says, through this family, through this nation, I'm gonna reveal myself to the world. I'm gonna bless the world through this family, the family that Jesus will come from. And this nation, they're enslaved in Egypt, and then Moses, he leads them out, leads them to freedom in the story of the Exodus. And they go on a journey in the wilderness to get to their own home, to have their own place finally. And it's as this journey gets going that God reminds them that he is a God who wants to be with his people, and he does it through the concept of something called the tabernacle. Moses goes to Mount Sinai, and he's having the craziest experiences, like seeing into heaven. He's at the summit of Sinai, and he is seeing, peeking into heaven, seeing the heavenly temple, the throne. And God says to him, we're gonna make an earthly copy of this, a little micro Eden, so I can be with you. And he downloads to him the blueprints for this tabernacle. And it's all layered with so much imagery and symbolism pointing to Eden, pointing to God in relationship, being with his people. They start to construct it. And I love this, this story because it's where all the creatives and production people get called out and come to work. And we have some amazing production and creative people in this church. Shout out to all of you who make so much possible to see the beauty of God and experience him. And so they all get to work and build this tabernacle with Moses. And the tabernacle, like Eden, there's these three layers, right? There's the outer courts where people can go and congregate. And then there's the holy place where the priests will go. And within the holy place is the holy of holies, the most holy place, and that's where the presence of God will be. And the high priest will go in there to make uh, the, the sacrifice of atonement. He will bring on the day of atonement the sacrifice that allows for God to be with his people. The mechanism for heaven and earth to meet is sacrifice. You gotta remember that. The blood that covers over the sin of these people. This holy God finds a way to camp himself right in the middle of these sinful people because he wants to be with them. In these ancient times, tribes would travel, and when they'd travel, when they'd set up camp, the king would camp in the direct center of the camp. So as the Israelites go, the tabernacle is always right in the center of their camp in their life because God is their king. And he goes with them and he guides them. He appears as this cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire at night that they follow him. He is with his people, guiding them, leading them. And eventually, they make it to their home. And this is where they will construct the temple 
which is like the tabernacle on steroids. It's the full picture of what they wanted to build. And it's right at the center of their society and their life is the temple. King David lays out the blueprints. His son, King Solomon, gets to construct it. And just like the tabernacle, the presence of God, fire and wind come and fill that holy place. God had said in Exodus 29, 45, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. He fills the tabernacle. He fills the temple because he wants to be with his people. And I could nerd out about this stuff all day long. There's so many details. It's so ornate and beautiful what God's doing, all the pictures he's showing us. The seven-day dedication period, just like the seven-day creation period, the high priest and all that they do, the sacrifice, the Ark of the Covenant, the furniture, every little detail is thought of and means something. And you guys know me, I like to nerd out about this kind of stuff. I was thinking through, I'm like, how am I gonna explain all this stuff? And I was reading Hebrews chapter nine. The book of Hebrews, by the way, is a great place. If you wanna go understand and see the Old and New Testament come together in Christ, go read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter nine starts talking about the, the tabernacle and the stuff that was in there. And after a couple verses, this caught me. The author writes in verse five, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. There's an urgency as this letter is getting out because what he's saying is, hey, this information is really important. But what matters right now is me getting you to see what all this was about in Christ for the transformation of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. It felt like the Holy Spirit was like, hey, nerd out about that stuff on the podcast. You've got your church for a couple minutes of their life. Show them what this was all pointing to. This thread, this story of the temple of God wanting to be with his people. Hebrews 10 says that there are, all these Old Testament things were shadows of things to come. Shadows of things to come. And the prophets start realizing God's up to even more than just the temple. He's up to something grander. They're peeking into heaven. The prophet Joel God speaks through him in Joel 2, and he says, and afterward, talking about the future, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And Israelites would read that and go, What? That sounds insane. If God pours his spirit out on us, it's just gonna disintegrate us. Not because he's mean, but because he's holy. There's a whole structure and system that has to be in place for us to just have the presence of God dwelling in our midst. God's gonna pour his spirit out on us? How is that possible? And it starts to click as the guy who all these shadows have been pointing to shows up. John chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, the Greek word that it comes from is skino, which literal definition means to have one's tent, to fix one's tabernacle, to reside, to dwell. So with the baseline context we have from the Old Testament that we just talked about, we can read this verse, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is how much God wants to be with his people is he is one of us now. Mind, body, spirit. He's coming to our flesh to be with us. And Jesus is the law. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He tabernacled among us. And he says something greater than the temple is here. 
Made a lot of people mad when he said that. The ultimate picture that God wants to be with his people. But then Jesus starts alluding to his disciples, there's even more at work here. I've got some stuff to do and I got a whole big plan. At the Last Supper in John 14, he says to his disciples, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And the disciples would go, what? The spirit of truth, the spirit of God's gonna dwell in us? Well, that can't be possible. And Jesus, I'm not sure it sounds good for you to go and send somebody else. We like you now. And he doubles down on it. Two chapters later, John 16, seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think that they hear that and they don't believe him. It can't be better for you to go, Jesus, and send this helper. I don't think they believe him and I don't think a lot of us do either. If given the choice, like Jesus sitting in this room or the Holy Spirit, we're probably all gonna go put Jesus in here. I'm not sure what to do with his weird friend, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus uses that word another helper, that word another means one who is just like the first. He's just like Jesus. It's his spirit. And it's better for all of you. Think about the worldwide movement that's gonna happen when my spirit can dwell in you. We need to believe Jesus when he said, hey, I've got this. It's better for you that my spirit comes. How much did he mean that, that he wanted this to happen? He died for us to have the spirit. Jesus did not come to give you a leadership masterclass. He came to give you salvation and his spirit. That's what he's got for you. So the resurrected Jesus then tells his disciples, hey, God's gonna pour his spirit out. Go wait in the upper room and buckle up. I'm going back and I'm sending you one just like me, my spirit. So fire and wind that once filled the tabernacle. Fire and wind once filled the temple. Now fire and wind come and fill people. The disciples, heaven and earth uniting in humans, temples of the Holy Spirit. In his first sermon, when people are all asking, what do we do about this story of Jesus, this, this Messiah who was killed but who rose from the grave? And what do we do, Peter? How do we respond? He says, repent and be baptized. Turn to Jesus. Bring your sins and lay them at the foot of the cross. Take his salvation. Put your faith in him, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made this possible. Sacrifice was the mechanism for heaven and earth to meet. And now the ultimate sacrifice has made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We die with Christ and we rise new with him, able to receive his righteousness and his spirit. Paul marvels about this in Acts chapter 17. He's preaching and he says, hey, the spirit of God does not live in temples made by human hands. He lives in humans, which is such a crazy thing to wrap your mind around. I was texting with my buddy Chad this week about this concept and articulating the Holy Spirit. And he's a theological genius and he just, in 30 seconds, texted me this back. Being born as a baby is a seed of God's original intent. 
Being born again and filled with the spirit of Christ is when that seed takes root and something that was always in the seed begins to flourish and grow and become what it had the potential to become. Just shot that back in a quick text. I was like, cool, man. Good for you. I was gonna say that, but I wanted you to say it. Jesus said he was gonna pour streams of living water on us and that's the spirit that's come to water this seed in you to grow you into a flourishing temple, sons and daughters of the high king. When I hear flourishing temple, it makes me think of Psalm 1, verse three, which talks about someone who walks in the way of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. I love the message paraphrase that says, you're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. Anybody wanna live like that? I wanna flourish like that, you and me. Everybody else is just perfectly content. I think about the, the temple and the blueprints, like the layout and all the instructions for the tabernacle and the temple are most people's Bible in a year plans go to die. It's like, what is just detail after detail after detail? Why does God care so much about this? Well, he cares so much because this is where his presence is gonna dwell. He wants to be with his people. But all the detail of the temple pales in comparison to the ultimate place that he wants to reside, which is you, a human being. This is where God has put so much thought that he steps back and he's like, now this, this is my masterpiece. You have 30 trillion cells that make up your body, 10,000 chemical functions daily. One human's DNA would fill 1,600 page books. That's how much thought and detail God has put into you. The human eye is a scientific marvel, 107 million cells. Seven million of those are cones that just send messages to your brain when you receive light into them, and we don't even think about this stuff. When you study the human body and all the design, what God has put into us, it leads people like a quantum physicist who said the human brain has 100 billion neurons, each neuron connected to 10,000 other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. Dr. Werner Gitt said, without a doubt, the most complex information processing system in existence is the human body. If we take all human information processes together, conscious ones and unconscious ones, this involves the processing of 10 to the 24th power bits of information daily. This astronomically high figure is higher by a million times than the total of human knowledge stored in all the world's libraries. I have absolutely no idea what that means. But what I do know that these guys are saying is God put so much thought when he crafted this temple that is you. GBB, don't listen to anybody that tells you that you don't matter, that God didn't put thought into you. He put this much thought into you. That's how much you matter to him. You are the temple where he wants to dwell. I wanna be that flourishing temple, but I was met with a convicting question this week. Do I look more like that flourishing temple or the ruins of one? And I don't say that to condemn anybody. I wanna be a place where we start to cultivate and work to not lay in ruins with discipline, stewardship, and hospitality and wonder and honor that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God wants to be with you. Let me add on to that. The Spirit has more for you. The Spirit has more than this world could ever offer you. You might be on fire right now. There's still more for you. 
This fire doesn't run out. The Spirit has more for you. What kind of things does the Spirit have for you? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, we read in Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Anybody want any of that stuff? Can't buy that stuff. What's the Spirit's goal for your life? That you would flourish in freedom, the freedom of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Your comforter, your advocate, your helper. He wants to be with you and help you to love God and love your neighbor to make you look like Christ. He wants to work in you. He has so much for you. Wants to go to work. The question is, will you let him? Let me complete my thought. God wants to be with you. The spirit has more for you. You have a part to play. When Jesus talks about this relation, this helper, that word has connotations meaning you pick up your side and he picks up the other side and you carry this thing together. You construct, you build this temple together. This is done in relationship. If we're honest, if a lot of us feel like the ruins of a, a temple, or maybe a temple that just doesn't have any fruit, there's not much going on here, I feel empty, I feel hollow, why does that happen? I wanna talk about what the life with the Spirit looks like, but first we gotta answer the question, what stops us from being that flourishing temple? And the answer is quenching the Spirit. We quench the Spirit, which is kind of a wild thing to wrap your mind around. You cannot overpower God. Good luck trying. But you can limit his power in your life. You can quench his spirit. A pastor named Sam Storm said this, the spirit comes to us as a fire, either to be fanned into full flame and given the freedom to accomplish his will or to be doused and extinguished by the water of human fear, control, and flawed theology. And so I wanna talk about four ways that we quench the spirit. I made a list of all the ways in my faith journey that I feel like I've quenched the spirit and it was pages long. So hear me, I'm not just heaping this on you. I'm in this, but I don't wanna quench the spirit and I don't want you to in your life either. I condense out into just four main ways that I feel like we commonly quench the spirit and the first one is self-glorifying religion. We talk a lot here about how so many of us, we walk with this belief that this is all on my shoulders, it's all about me and what I can do in earning God's love, earning salvation, fear-based behavior modification, trying to be God, and those kind of things push you to where you become self-reliant rather than spirit-reliant. There's a danger as you journey in your faith and you grow up a little bit that you start to think you've got it going, so you stop asking the spirit for help, think you've graduated. Some of us have maybe been around or involved in movements of the Holy Spirit where people start to make it much more about what the Holy Spirit can do through me. Where it's less and less about Jesus and more and more about people. Less and less about the Spirit and more about what the Spirit can do for us. The church in Corinth had all kinds of issues with this, with chaos. That's why Paul wrote to them with structure and explanation, stewardship of the Holy Spirit. And we can get off base and make this about us. Francis Chan writes this, a lot of people wanna talk about supernatural things like miracles, healing, or prophecy but focusing inordinately on the, these things quickly becomes misguided. God calls us to pursue him, not what he might do for us or even in our midst. Scripture emphasizes that we should desire fruit, that we should concern ourselves with becoming more like his son. God wants us to seek to listen to his spirit and to obey. The point of it all was never the miracles in and of themselves. Those came when they were unexpected, when people were faithful and focused on serving and loving others. 
Signs and wonders can become our worship rather than our Father. And I'm all for miracles. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen the Holy Spirit do miraculous things. Years ago, Doug and Ryan and I were hanging out and this lady that was uh, part of a church that we were near, she came over and she knew we were Christians. She said, I love to read, but I really can't see anymore. My eyes are shot. Would you pray for me? And we were like, yeah, that's all we know to do. We believe the Holy Spirit can heal, so we're just gonna ask. And we prayed for her and she left. About three weeks later, we ran into her and we were just like, hey, how have you been? She was like, awesome, I can read now, my eyes were healed, thank you for the prayer. And then just never saw her again. It wasn't because of us. It's because of this Holy Spirit who will heal, who does miracles. We've just gotta be careful that when we start to have movements, when we start to bring the Holy Spirit, when we start to seek the Holy Spirit, that this isn't about us getting magnified, it's about him getting magnified. To continue to pursue him, not the things he can do in and through us. The next way I think that we quench the Spirit is just avoidance. And I'm guilty of this because I have been around some movements, some places where people were off base, some motives were off, and it just pushed me away. Places of chaos, discernments absent, stewardship's irresponsible, and so I'm just gonna avoid, I just, I have grown at times to become the guy that somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, I think I have a word from the Lord for you, and in my head I go, no you don't. I don't buy that. I've had too many weird experiences like this. And if we had that pendulum still here, maybe we've experienced chaos. People making it about themselves and their agenda and their thing, and because we were turned off by that, we swung over to just denial of the whole thing in general. Just throw out the Holy Spirit. I just, I'm not just going there anymore. There's people who believe the Holy Spirit's just done. He's done working. Or I'm at least done with him because I, I had that experience. And I was convicted about this because when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, he then says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And I have treated the prophetic and things that the Holy Spirit might be up to with contempt in my life because of experiences I've had. Test those things, test the motives, test them with scripture, but don't throw out the Holy Spirit because somebody else got it off base. A pastor named Chris Hodges was talking about the Holy Spirit and it just spoke to my heart. He said, it's not that you didn't like the Holy Spirit, you just didn't like the packaging. The danger of this when we start to resist and avoid and deny the Holy Spirit in our lives is I think what is common in a lot of churches and a lot of us as believers is an empty temple. Francis Chan wrote, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. And I fear that that's very true of our culture. Maybe it's the packaging. Maybe sometimes we avoid or we don't really go there. We play small. I've played small in my prayers, sometimes because I don't know if I believe the Holy Spirit can do it. Sometimes I'm trying to cover for God in case he doesn't move, so I just don't do anything. I think if I, if I could strip away all the baggage that we all have with the Holy Spirit and you just read the Bible cover to cover, you'd finish it and you'd go, Jesus, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you again soon. Give me that Holy Spirit. I want everything he's got for me. Fill me up. I don't want him on my terms and you don't get him on your terms anyway. I want all of what he's got for me. I want him on his terms. Give me that Holy Spirit who is wild and who is structured, who is ferocious and who is loving. He is intense and he is comforting. 
Give me that Holy Spirit. The third way I think that we quench the Spirit is our comfort. Put bluntly, we are just too comfortable so often in our lives to need a comforter, especially in a country and culture like ours. I heard this crazy story of some Christian missionaries who were captured by the Taliban years ago. And they just sat together and they prayed and they trusted. They let the Holy Spirit bring comfort to them in their fear. They accepted death, knowing that it was a light and momentary struggle because Jesus had made eternity possible. They kept their faith and let the Holy Spirit work and then they ended up being released. And in the years to follow, they would still stay in touch and talk to each other and there were times and conversations where one person would say to the other, don't you wish we were still back there? Which sounds insane. But they had experienced such intimacy with the Holy Spirit because they were so uncomfortable and they wanted that back, whatever the cost. And we can just be so comfortable that we don't even need the comforter. It can be why we just disengage with all the distractions around us, quieting that voice. Our comfort leads us to worship with our arms crossed. I don't know if I'm willing to surrender and open myself up and let the Holy Spirit move because I don't know quite what he's gonna do. I kind of like the way I have things going. A lot of us avoid spirit-led community because it's gonna be uncomfortable to be with some imperfect people who are gonna push you in your faith, who the Holy Spirit's gonna work through and speak through in your life. But with all of that said, with all the external comforts that we have, I was reading that last year the suicide rate was the highest it's ever been. And it just makes me wonder, like, are you actually comfortable in your own skin? Are we? Or are we ruins of temples? Are we empty and seeking and miserable and depressed? And in those places, everyone's asking, man, what do I need? I need something. GBB, you may be asking sometimes, I need something. What is it? I can tell you it's the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God, and he is all you need. Francis Chan said, I don't want my life to make sense without the Holy Spirit. Man, I'll double down on that. I don't want this church to make sense without the Holy Spirit. I don't want what's happening at the Murray unit to make sense without the Holy Spirit. For some amazing things to be happening, which means we gotta be ready to step out of our comfort zones and let him come in, let him work. And the beautiful thing is that he will lead you into situations outside of your comfort zone, but he is your comforter. He's there in those situations with you. The last way that we quench the spirit, and this is the light, fun one, is sin. It was a joke, yes. In Galatians chapter five, we get the fruit of the spirit at the end of that chapter. But we get this real contrast with the ways of the world and sin. But you have to read this through the lens of how this chapter starts, the verse that Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't put that burden of sin back on yourself. Don't put that burden of self-glorifying religion, this is all on yourself. Don't put that back on yourself. Jesus came to set you free for eternity. And then Paul continues, and in verse 13 he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That doesn't mean that just because you have a body, it means your sinful nature. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, listen to the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit that will come after. The works of the flesh are evident. You guys know from 2 Timothy that Paul loves to air out all of our dirty laundry. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you read that and you go, uh, I've done some of those things. Sounds like bad news. What's he saying? He's saying if you choose the way of the world and you let your sinful nature win, you're not gonna experience the kingdom of God right now. You're not gonna experience the things he's about to list that the spirit has for you if you choose this way. This is why the spirit has come to wage war against your flesh. Why? Why has he done that? For your freedom. So you can live in the freedom that Jesus died for you to have for the fruit that he has for you. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You have to make a decision, am I gonna stand here with my sinful nature, my flesh, and wage war against the spirit, or am I gonna stand with the spirit and wage war against my flesh, my sinful nature? Do I wanna be free? And here's the reality. The reason that we do all of those things that are on that first list, all of the sinful nature, the reason that we run to those things is because we're trying to get hits of the things on the second list. I don't think anybody as a kid is like, well, I just... I just dream of struggling with an addiction someday. I just hope to make a sexual mess in my life, right? But the world feeds us those things and goes, hey, this is where you're gonna experience a little peace, a little love. And Paul's going, those things are gonna deliver a counterfeit version to you. That will be fleeting, it will be gone so fast. It's not the real thing. The Holy Spirit's got the real thing. And you've got a part to play. Do you want those things of the Spirit? He's got them for you. He wants them for you. So what do we do? How do we live in a rhythm of relationship with the Spirit? Well, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, the first thing you gotta do is invite him in. Peter said, right, like, put your faith in Jesus, repent, turn from your sin, put it at the foot of the cross, start walking in relationship with Jesus as your Savior, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Invite him in. For a lot of us, I think that our relationship with the Holy Spirit looks like this. If I were to tell you on September 22nd, 2014, my wife and I had a wedding. And we got married and we signed a marriage license and we've been married since. And since that day, I put a tent out in the yard and she lives there and I've never invited her into the house. You'd be like, that's not relationship. But we do that to the Holy Spirit. Leave him out there. Never inviting him in. Let me tell you this, he's not living in tents anymore. He's coming to live in you. That's where he wants to be. You gotta invite him in, and he, and he will come. God's not withholding of his spirit. He wants to pour it out on his people. Jesus says in Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If you then, though you are evil, little jab there, know how to give good gifts to the child, your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He is just looking for people that go, Holy Spirit, come on. I want everything you've got for me. Come on. So invite him in and then get ready. 
I know enough about the Holy Spirit to know that I have no idea what he's gonna do. But it's gonna look something like transformation. It's gonna look like waging war against the things that are killing you for your freedom. Starting to deliver to you love, joy, peace, pay, all those things that you are looking for. He's coming to move in. C.S. Lewis said this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Invite him in and then let him be led by the spirit. Jesus, take the wheel, right? I'm moving over to shotgun. Holy Spirit, you're driving. There's been so many times where I feel like I try to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Hey, Holy Spirit, do this and do this, okay? And he looks at me like, hey, who's in charge here? Who knows better? I've got you. And it changes how you pray, how you interact with him. My grandpa, this is his prayer every morning. Holy Spirit, what are you up to today and how can I be a part of it? Be led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, tonight I have some hours of time. What do I do at this time? How can I build myself into this flourishing temple Practically, every detail of our lives, ask him first, Holy Spirit, would you guide me as I budget my money? Holy Spirit, would you be with me? Would you comfort me in this difficult situation? Would you give me patience for this person? Holy Spirit, grant me the grace to forgive this person. Help me, help me. Let him speak. Let him convict as he leads you, which is uncomfortable. Crucifixion is painful. But how beautiful and wonderful is the resurrection of what the Holy Spirit has for us. I think when I was new to faith and the Holy Spirit moved in, I was like, I don't know if I like this new roommate. Keeps kind of telling me some things and I kind of feel comfortable. I like kind of the sin patterns in my life and I don't know if I like him being in charge. And because of that, I stopped listening in a lot of ways. I quenched the spirit a lot. And I experienced this haunting feeling that A.W. Tozer describes and to expose our hearts to truth and consistently refuse or neglect to obey the impulses it arouses is to stymie the motions of life within us and if persisted in, to grieve the Holy Spirit into silence. This is a scary place to be. I don't know if I can even hear his voice anymore because I haven't listened for so long. I've been there. And I got to that point where I thought, man, when I'm, when I'm taking the wheel, it's not going well. That first list, this is creating a disaster in my life. I want that fruit of the Spirit. I can't find it anywhere. I need, to, I need to stop quenching him and let him lead, asking him first, letting him help and guide me. And as you let him lead, you just start to walk in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, walk in step with the Spirit. He'll pace with you. Sometimes he'll slow down when you need some healing and some time to sit with him. But then also there's times where he's like, let's go. Kind of like when I walk with my four-year-old, my legs are just longer, and so I am walking, and then I look back, and he's way back there. I'm like, come on, buddy, let's go. We got some stuff to do. Holy Spirit's calling us to walk in step with him. I fear that so many of us have stories about what the Holy Spirit did then, but we don't have any stories to tell of what he's doing now. 
And I wanna be a church filled with those stories of what he's up to today in our lives. And as you walk in step with him, sometimes he'll remind you that you have a part to play in this whole thing, that you're part of this relationship. Some of our prayers are so much like, Holy Spirit, just take away all my stress. He's like, okay, I have peace that I, I wanna deliver and grow. I have so much peace for you. It would also help if you got good at time management. Holy Spirit, make me healthy. I wanna be that physically healthy temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, great, what time are we getting up to go to the gym? What are we gonna eat now? Are we gonna eat differently? Holy Spirit, take away my lust problem. Oh, I would love to free you from that to restore the beauty of the gift of sex to you and how God intended, I would love to free you. It would also really help if you put some apps on your phone to block you from pornography. When you go out with your friends, it would be a smart idea if you stop blacking out and you can't hear my voice anymore and you keep getting yourself into these situations. Or at least that's what he said to me in college, I don't know. <laughs> You've got a part to play in this. You get to be in this, work this temple and watch that fruit grow. And as you do this, you just live by the Spirit. That just becomes your lifestyle. You just live by the Spirit. I worry as Christians today that too many of us sense the Holy Spirit for one hour a week rather than live by Him 168 hours of the week. Live by the Spirit. Make it your lifestyle. I don't want my life to make sense without Him. I don't want yours to either. I don't want this church to make sense without Him. I wanna be a wildfire that this city looks at and goes, whoa, it says that the disciples, when they started moving and working, when the Holy Spirit was operating in and through them, that the, the religious officials that witnessed these ordinary guys and what the Spirit was up to, they were astonished by them. How cool would it be if people saw us, Christians in the city, I'm astonished by those people. By what, by their love, their joy, their peace, their patience, their kindness, their gentleness, their faithfulness, their self-control. The fruit, what's going on in that place, the flourishing temples, all around, I'm astonished by them. Here's a cool fact. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that your coworker works next to a temple of the Holy Spirit. How wild is that? That should bear some implications in their life. Sitting next to a temple of the Holy Spirit every day. And so my prayer is that the wonder and honor of being a temple of the Holy Spirit would be restored to you that would lead us to discipline stewardship, hospitality, to be these flourishing temples that astonish the people around us. Would you guys stand to your feet? I wanna remind you of one last thing. This spirit that I'm talking about, this is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now wants to dwell in you. So let's hit the gym, amen? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift that you are. I pray for healing in this place, restoration. Right now, some of you, I would just say, this might just be the moment where you need to just invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Maybe this is breaking news to you. Invite him in. Maybe you don't know what to say or the words to pray. Go pray with somebody on our prayer team. Come find me, I'll pray with you right now. Receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just feel empty. It's been a long time since you heard that voice. Invite him back. 
be refilled, fresh wind, fresh fire. Come and do it again, Holy Spirit. Would you move right now as we worship? In Jesus' name, amen.